Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Thoughts of Peaches. This is Peaches, how you doing? So, this is going to be the intro for the first of a two-part series I'm going to do on reality versus people's perception of what is reality. Um, the catalyst for this was I posted something on social media regarding the shooting of the 16-year-old young lady um, after police intervention and a call for an altercation at someone's home. And some of the responses I got were very polarizing. Some people were still on the depletion of shot her, et cetera, and so forth. Some of them were holding her accountable for her actions to how they escalated the situation. My personal opinion falls some, somewhere in the middle because to a certain extent, so many people being around allowing that situation that escalated to where it was is a failure on the community and the people present for not intervening under the guise of minding their business. And then when the officer got there, the fact that his immediate response was the use of lethal force is questionable to me because police are taught de-escalation tactics and non-lethal methods to apprehend assailants and things like that. So the fact that his initial response to the situation was to use lethal force brings up a lot of questions for me as well. So, <clears throat> so there's equal amounts of blame, fault, or however you want to word it to go around to multiple people. Plus, we do not know the full story for how the incident came to be, et cetera, and so forth. So being that I got responses from both sides of the aisle, in my opinion, kind of being somewhat balanced in the middle, I thought about this. What happens in people li people's lives or what guides the per their perception of how things happen and makes the reality of the circumstance for them? Because people have different opinions on things and that's fine, but some of these situations, it's interesting about where people draw the line of what's right and wrong, black and white, and where the blame should fall. And to a certain extent, I feel those things fall on the spectrum of people's cultural influence in their life. And by cultural influence, I mean more in the sociological sense than the actual, like, culture of people, per se. So, racial discrepancies between how people are viewed and how people are taught. Money and class discrepancies where people have grown up with money, with the ability and access to things, and people without... Um, some of it has to do with gender identity, um, and gender politics as far as male, female, people on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum and things like that. And then religion plays a huge factor for a lot of people in their cultural identity and how they view and perceive the world. So those are a lot of things for me to unpack, and I don't want to do one long drawn out episode, so I'm going to split it into two, um... I did the artwork for this and it was kind of cool because I used the concept that people will relate to and understand and kind of give them the idea of what I'm trying to talk about. It's literally two images of me with a half occupied glass and one side says half empty, one side said has full. And it kind of highlights this concept that two people looking at the same thing can see it in two completely different ways for a multitude of reasons and some of those reasons need to be unpacked because everybody seeing things differently kind of convolutes what's really happening and kind of makes it complicated when it comes to 
enforcing laws and regulations and finding true executable justice and things because people's perceptions of how things are and what things are aren't always the same. So one of the greatest influences on a lot of our perception is based on our cultural upbringing and identity and in culture that could reference your race, um, religious beliefs, um, ethnicity, and things of that nature. Um, and I separate into those three categories because those are the three that are most commonly recognized and have the biggest impact. So racially, if you come from any sort of background outside of being a white Anglo-Saxon passing, you have a different mentality about things based on the ancestry and heritage of your family's country or place of origin. So your scope of the world is based on that history and how that is engaged in modern times with what's going on in the world. So people of Middle Eastern backgrounds and descent will have a different perception of a lot of things than people of Hispanic and Latino background or people of East Asian um, will have from people of indigenous backgrounds and things of that nature. There will be a lot of overlap, but here's where the complication comes in. People are so focused on the differences that they fail to see the overlaps of those things. If you look at a lot of these um, cultures and ethnicities and things of that nature, you will see there are a lot of um, similarities as far as food that is eaten, um, mythological figures or concepts. Um, perfect example I will always use is it, no matter what country or um, ethnic group you go to, there's some form of vampiric blood drinking creature in their mythology used to either scare children or to explain some sort of um, famine-like phenomenon. And those things guide your perception of how you move through the world. Then you have the unique experience of the African-American population because it's not a native culture it was a learned and adaptive culture as a matter of the circumstances of the chattel slavery that happened in America during the early parts of um, its occupation by colonizers, as opposed to the colonization of Africans on their native land. Their culture is more aligned with older practices that they held on to even through occupation. So you see a lot of conflict within the diaspora as far as perspective on life. Then when you get into the majority quote unquote population that is white Anglo-Saxon passing that actually covers a plethora of other subdivisions of culture and ethnicity that though they do have certain individual elements, so your Irish Americans and your Italian Americans and those who have come from Slavic and Polish countries and things like that, they do have individuality and differences amongst themselves, but they have also the cultural um, differentiation of pre presenting as Caucasian and 
their life scope, you can say benefiting and suffering <laughs> from white privilege. Um, your culture sometimes shelters you or indoctrinates you from and to certain beliefs based on proximity to other cultures and your trajectory and place in the world. There are still places in the United States that don't have a population of a lot of non-white passing people. So their scope and perspective on issues affecting black people and people of color lack scope and nuance because they haven't had to experience it. Conversely, a lot of the marginalized population, marginalized being people that are disadvantaged based on cultural ideologies, beliefs, and representation are conditioned in several different ways because of their lack of proximity to whiteness. So there's the model minority myth that was used as a propaganda tool to kind of keep a division between the cultures as far as as long as you're not black, you can get ahead further, but you're not going to get the same as white people. And as a matter of comfort and assimilation, a lot of people um, followed through with that concept because that's what they felt and were taught and was pushed upon them based on previous ideologies of the country we live in. So they felt the more they distance themselves to black people, the closer they can get to whiteness but the white people still kept them at a distance. So they were kind of like, you're not as bad as them, but you're not us. And as a survival mechanism, people were quote unquote okay with that because it was a matter of survival. You had to make a choice to assimilate to the system or risk fighting back and having your life and your family's life and livelihood and future in danger. Did you have black people who have the centuries-long building of these cultural and ancestral traumas they guided and gave the perspective they have about a lot of things today, rooted from how they were treated through slavery, through Jim Crow in the civil rights era, through the war on drugs and the crack epidemic specifically targeted at black communities, all the way up until now where we're seeing all of these things come to more of a light it's not that the revolution is new, it's just that it's now being televised. Everybody has a camera at their hand at any given time. So we're seeing a lot more of the nuts and bolts and moving parts that we had access to before. And then there's also certain cultural norms being rooted. So just as m a lot of minorities were duped into the model minority myth, a lot of black people have been taught an inherent fear and distrust of society and the system overall. Um, growing up as a young black man, I remember that there were talks that had to be had with me about my existence and how I moved through life to be um, accepted or accommodated towards whiteness in how I speak, how I dress, how I present myself, because over time, similar to the model minority myth, my adjacency to whiteness was the key to my success and my well-being. And I say it exactly as success and well-being. It was there were doors that would not be open to me if I was too ethnic or presented too aggressively. But at the same time, if I did not acquiesce to certain behaviors, 
my life can be put in danger as far as dealing with people in authority, law enforcement and things like that, or how I engage with people in public, the tone of voice I use when I spoke and things of that nature. And just as much as those talks were being had with black people, those who were being fed the model minority myth were told all of the negative things to keep them away and keep them from being associated with black people. But then some of those within the model minority myth bubble found themselves at a um, complicated crossroads because their culture was based in some of the same root and ancestry as African Americans. So they had to reconcile those elements with their desire to be well off. Um, perfect example was um, a lot of Puerto Ricans because that's a it's Puerto Rico was a very weird circumstance because it's a U.S. territory, but it's not part of the continental U.S. It's primarily Spanish speaking, while the U.S. is predominantly English speaking. So there's a lot of um, culture clash between their interactions and those who move to the mainland United States. A lot of times I've running joke with a lot of my um, friends that are Hispanic and Latino always talk about Puerto Rican cultures like you can tell Puerto Rican because they have the look of Latinos but they don't have the words because a lot of them don't speak Spanish because at a point in time being closer to whiteness was the key to success and most white people didn't speak Spanish and a lot of Puerto Ricans are light enough to pass for white so if you could have the sabor de Latino at home when you went out in the streets you had to pretty much wash all the seasoning off just to get by in life so you'll see a lot of um, people of Puerto Rican descent especially in like the further you get from the Caribbean itself they don't speak Spanish or they don't speak Spanish well or they're not comfortable speaking Spanish so often or they're they're very touchy about it because ancestral teachings and traumas taught them that it's you're not going to get ahead in life if you're if you're too ethnic leave that for at home with the family you get down the streets you need to be as close to white people as possible or even people who fit into the um caucasian bubble aesthetically and based on their appearance and i believe the word is phenotype they may have different cultural practices or languages at home whether it be russian italian um spaniard spain spanish as it's called um german greek any of the um, Eurocentric languages, they only speak those at home. And when they go out into the world, they try to hide their accent or try to make themselves um, appear as white, completely white passing as possible, as far as trying to appear as white Anglo-Saxon as possible to make themselves have a place in the world. And all of these little nuances and little tweaks give people certain perception about how they need to move through life and then as you get to certain levels of life, it starts to intermingle with how you interact and engage with other people. And then when people get in certain positions because of historically how the blocks have felt, that starts to affect people's jobs, the opportunities people have for education within, um, even from pre-K all the way up into higher education, law enforcement, um, legislative roles in government and things of that nature and different perceptions 
of how things need to be done for the quote-unquote greater good or for the community but a lot of times because of people's perceptions and a majority of people in those roles the reflection of community is inaccurate because you don't have a community perception you have things being governed and directed by individuals perceptions based on the culture which they came up in and were taught so they lack a certain level of perspective when you talk to them about other issues within other people. As we're seeing more diversity within government, a lot of older people who are in leadership roles don't see the need for certain changes because they've never had the perspective to see it as an issue or they don't understand it because they don't have that lived experience. So the easiest one is for people understanding systematic racism and oppression within government and legislation having benefited either actively or inadvertently through life they don't see a problem because they've never had a issue and when you point it out to them there's a and this is why saying terms like i am colorblind don't make the situation any better because you being colorblind means you have not had a problem, so you don't see a problem. You think everybody else has had the same opportunities, which is a little bit, um, how can I say this, politically and socially daft. Because even if you look through history, it's been documented in history where the government has actively repressed anybody who does not fit a certain social construct of what is an American. And that has fed so much animosity and mistreatment and injustice that needs to be addressed. But because people don't have that scope and perspective from experiences of their own culture, it's hard for them to wrap their head around it. Now, along with culture comes the root of all evil, as I said, is money. Now, these are tied into the fact that a lot of times... Um, how a culture is perceived by society can directly impact the monetary um, viability of someone's situation. And that can affect your perception as well because money gain, gains you access. That's just how the world works. And we live in a capitalist society where that is a huge factor. So if you want to work your way from the top to unfortunately the bottom, people who are white, white passing, um, those who benefit from white privilege have the most potential access to generational wealth, financial stability, and access to higher paying jobs because they are perceived to be the utmost. They are the template. They are the ones everybody wants to be, the ones everybody looks up to, the ones everybody sees. So their representation is always there. So they always are, they're, the, they're what is sought after. They are the ones in control, so they want to see themselves in these positions of power and given the access to better resources community-wise, higher pay rates, access to higher education because they have access to financial stability that can lead to that and different offerings. Then you have the concept of the model minority myth, which as people came into the country immigration-wise, they only wanted skilled 
educated people coming in. So you're already getting people that are coming from whatever homeland they have for the access of resources available here in America. And they already have an upper hand of having those higher educations from countries that have different educational structures that are more even keeled than what we have in the United States. So they have more access to resources from jump from getting here. Then you have the ancestral trauma that has plagued the African-American community in the sense that throughout history there are reports where African-Americans were not allowed to be educated. It was legal for them to read, um, go to the same schools and have the same educational resources as white Americans did. So that held them back. Then when they finally started to get subtraction, um, certain establishments of black financial stability and growth, like Black Wall Street, for example, were, saw, were seen as problematic for the overall structure of what the country was trying to do and it was eliminated they did not want black people to have any semblance of the same or close to the same power and resources the white people did so when they saw those opportunities come up they eliminated them so now there becomes a black hole of lack of ability to develop ancestral wealth and heredit passed that on generationally through black families so now there's a handicap in a capitalist society, buddy, is power. Power is access. Access is control. So now you have people set back in a systematic way. And when they're trying to fight and claw to get to even an equal level, not, not even surpass, but an equal level and equal footing, they're constantly hitting glass ceilings or brick walls because the people that have the power and the access don't want to share. And that limits people's perception because if you don't have the money and the resources to do better, learn better, pass things along through your family, it's hard for you to see certain things. You have the people that have the hood mentalities and the ideology that um, the ghetto is where people of color belong because they have not been taught or shown any better and that's not only in how people were treated and where they ended up it's also portrayals in media showing that the struggle is real quote-unquote is the life that black people have to have or certain neighborhoods aren't meant for black people there are still sundown towns in this country where being a person of color can get you killed because those communities are so insulated and want to protect their resources from anybody who does not look like them. The money limits your opportunities as far as educational resources. Um, when you go into communities with certain property values, they're not given the same resources as school districts that have more financial stability and financial viability to the population. Um, the cost of higher education, if you don't have the, enough money, you don't have enough resources to go to the right school for the right education or the right perception of education because you can have two schools that do the same exact curriculum but because one costs more and has more prestige it's a better opportunity it looks better on a resume when you go for a job the money is the guiding force to show where you live and what resources you have so black people not giving the same financial opportunities or other minorities not given the same financial opportunities as far as starting businesses through business loans, getting educational grants and things like that. Um, the communities they have access to, 
you constantly hear about real estate agents overquoting pricing to people of color versus white people or white people being more trusted with lower cost loans or requiring less paperwork or collateral and things like that as opposed to minorities and black people in the United States. So they don't have the direct access and resources to get ahead in life. You can get a home and your home is valued less because of the color of your skin or the perception of your ethnicity. And it's not fair. It holds people back from progress because people's perception is all money is good and green until they see who's they ain't holding it. You can have two people go in for the same item and guess who would get a discount or better treatment or their money holds more value. A person of whiter skin who is more adjacent to whiteness. That is just the country of America that we live in. And even if you look overall around the world now, since everything's being televised, people from around the world are saying this is how it is everywhere, just because this is residual effects of colonization. That money not only rules the world, but the hand holding the money has a greater impact on how far the money goes. So for the last portion of part one, I will introduce the impact of religion on people's perception of things, because those are, these are the big three. People's religion often dictate how they view the world, how they view interactions with the world, how they view their behavior, and what they choose to engage with with the world. Um, <clears throat> predominantly, we'll talk about the big three, um, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, because those are the ones I have the most familiarity about. And those, in my opinion and what I've seen, have the most restriction and or social commentary attached to the United States in a way. Um, all three of those are Abrahamic religions. They come from the same region pretty much and have similar tenets and behaviors, but they affect the world differently in a way. And they affect the people who practice those religions differently in a way. And that is an identifier of how they engage with the world. In the United States, it's not officially listed as our national religion but if you look at the behaviors and how things are run here everything in the united states is pretty much handled through a christian lens even though our population is so diverse that that's a bit problematic because everybody doesn't have a voice when you're only hearing it or seeing things from one um point of view and it's looked at if you take a secular approach and give everybody fair treatment within the government that something's going to go wrong. It guides how people decide what policies and procedures and people's morality gauge encompasses and things like that. And they don't realize how problematic that is when everybody doesn't worship the same. So you look at the three major religions, a lot of their tenets are very much the same. There's major houses of worship. A specific day of um, Sabbath or prayer, different moral guidelines, dietary restrictions to some extent that overlap. Yet they are constantly divided on their points of views and perspective on things to the point where there's a level of animosity. And based on the incident that happened in 9 11, Islam is looked at as the most contentious and um, conflicted amongst the three because of the beliefs of the people who were in, allegedly involved.
and the attack being extremists of Islamic belief. Now, the same could be said for how some things are running the United States government of being extremists of Christian belief because they use their Christian values, quote unquote, to dictate their legislations and guidelines for how society needs to operate within the United States, which is not fair because not everybody here is Christian. There's no official national religion. We are not a theocracy, we're a democracy. Um, but even still, you look at the abortion guidelines and laws and how they're spoken about from the perspective of a pulpit rather than a true political stance or the views on the LGBTQIA plus community um, are based on religious naturalistic beliefs rather than the existence of people living their lives or just having so much mention of God and so much government procedural things and the Pledge of Allegiance, the national anthem printed on our money and things of that nature. It's so heavy handed that it guides people's perspective on things and how the country should operate. And we're one of the more religiously liberal countries around the world, we'll say. But it's still super restricted because people's perspective on morality is solely based on something or principles that not everybody of the country ascribes to. Not everybody's a Christian. Not everybody's a Muslim. Not everybody's Jewish. Not everybody ascribes to the same belief system and things of that nature. And then when you try to tell them we need to take that out and go to a more even-keeled, balanced, sociologically reasonable secular legislative system oh you're trying to take our religion no you can practice whatever religion you want we just don't need to govern from the perspective of principles of a god that not everybody believes in it just makes things more complicated more difficult for us here to go from those perspectives when that's not a perspective shared by the entire population we pride ourselves on diversity and america being the melting pot that it is, but we don't honor that from a legislative standpoint because we're too busy trying to shove a religion that everybody doesn't ascribe to down their throats. And even those who do ascribe to that set religion, not everybody goes by the same denomination. Some of them have different regulations, guidelines, and tenets within the same umbrella. And that goes for all three of the major religions. And then you introduce also people who are non-religious, people who are spiritual. You go to indigenous populations who, through hell or high water, have had their ancestral heritage of religion, religious practices, survived even through, for all intents and purposes, a genocide. You have the people who are reconnecting with their roots, who are African-American, rediscovering the religions that were taken away from them. Um, through the period of the um, chattel slavery that occurred in the United States. You have the adaptive religions from the Caribbean, exactly the same as what African-Americans are rediscovering, the roots that they came from. So not everybody's point of view spiritually or religiously can align. So you can't operate from a religious objective with legislation because not everybody ascribes to the same thing. And trying to force that as your way to govern doesn't benefit anybody. All it does is divide more and make people question 
your thoughts and principles even more because they don't believe the same thing you do. So that's going to wrap up part one of this two-part series I'm doing on perception versus reality. Um, in part two, there's going to be a couple of more nuanced things I'm going to get into than how they interconnect and what could potentially be done to make this better. Um, take a listen to the episode, share it with your friends, give me some feedback and input on it, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye, y'all.